there we are now again welcome once again to the irish in sweden podcast my name is philip o'connor and i hope that by now over a week after the event that uh, st patrick's day hangover slash exhaustion has lifted because um what a week it was, certainly in Stockholm. We had the visit of Damien English, uh, the minister that you heard from on the podcast here in a special bonus edition. We had the parade here. We had a party in Nakka. There was an event in Örebro. We had Ian Maloney playing down in Beans Bistro in um, Gothenburg. I heard that Fagan's pub was turned upside down by Guinness drinking Irish people having the crack. So wherever you are, and whatever you were doing, uh, I really hope that you had a great time. Um, I want to expend, extend a special thank you to Team Ireland. Right, Team Ireland is basically Ambassador Austin Gormley and everybody who works for Enterprise Ireland and Tourism Ireland and Boardbia and all the state agencies uh, who worked so hard over the course of that week to really maximise Ireland's time in the spotlight. And uh, I was actually messaging Hannah today, but something completely different. Uh, Hannah, who you will have heard from from Enterprise Ireland. Um, and, you know, I was just asking her how she was getting on. I'm sure they're all completely exhausted after what happened there over the week. But it was just, you know, magnificent. Hannah Fraser and our team, they're doing tremendous work all together, uh, opening up a whole load of leads that they can follow up on that. And I'd like to say thanks to them and to the Swedish Irish Society for the lovely award that they gave me. So uh, I don't know if you've seen on Facebook or on social media, but I was awarded... Uh, I was given the Guhnaherrn, the Voice of Ireland Award for 2022, for partially for this podcast and for all the other things I've been doing over the last 20 years. And uh, it's one of those things where I've done loads of handing out of awards and that kind of thing, but I very seldom actually received them, you know, probably because I don't deserve them most of the time. But uh, I'm really, really grateful to them uh, for the support that they've shown this podcast and me over the years. And um, it just it makes you want to keep going, you know, it makes you want to keep making these podcasts. It makes you want to find new ways to connect with Irish communities, not just in Sweden, but around the world, and more of which are on. So, um, yeah, no, it was just a tremendous time altogether. But now we're going to try to get back down to um, the business end of the podcast and to talk to the people within the community. And there's a couple of interviews coming up today. We're still in Stockholm, right? Now, the reason for that is that St. Patrick's Day took up so much time that it was just, you know, everything else went on hold. And then the bonus episode, the chance to interview the minister turned up and I went, okay, I'll have to rush off and do that. And then you start putting things back a little bit. So next week, uh, I'm going to be talking to somebody who is based up in Örnsköldsvik, which is about halfway up the country. Um, I, we did talk to a few people from around the country on the actual St. Patrick's Day itself parade podcast. But I'm hoping to get up to Lulio, and I've been talking to a few people, uh, to Kevin and to Lynn Brickell down there in Malmö, but going down to Malmö, there's a few fascinating people living down there doing really, really interesting things. And I figure, right, okay, you know, maybe there isn't a huge amount of revenue being generated by the podcast. We're going to spend that going down to visit them and then maybe make it a trip up to Lulio and actually going out because I think when you show up in places, people are more likely to talk to you than when you sort of drop them a message or that kind of thing, you know. So I'm going to try to do that over the next few weeks. And I was talking to a good friend of mine, Pelle Bloom as well, who lives down in um, which is where Pat Walker and his sons, Kevin and Robert, the two footballers, they live down there. So I'm going to try to make that trip as well. So be a bit more reporting from out in the field uh, to come to you over the next few weeks. And it wouldn't be possible without Martin Hessian and the good friends of ours at Veerson's Pub there. They sponsor the show. They sponsor every month. They contribute to the show. And I'm 
really, really delighted to have that. Get yourselves down there if you're in Stockholm. They have, um, back in the day, you would always get like just a selection of beers depending on whatever brewery the pub had. But Martin has really expanded now and he's taken in all sorts of IPAs and weird stuff, which is um, not weird. That's not a bad thing when it's beer, you know, but there's all sorts of craft beers. Craft beers, I call it. Not weird beers, craft beers. So there's a load of them on top there. And they change reasonably regularly as well. So if you're a bit of a beer aficionado, get yourself down there. And remember that even if you're a private individual, you too can support the show, right? If you have Swish, you can send a donation to 123-2424-166. That's 123-2424-166. The favoured way for me would be if you'd be able to throw in a fiver every month, five euros every month, to patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm, right? And great and all as Martin Hessian is, right, you won't get a craft IPA for five euros, right? It's not even the price of a pint, basically. It's not even the price of a beer here. We'd love it if it was. You might get a can or two, but anyway. Uh, but if you could do that every month, you know, the more people I can get to do that, the more of these things I can do, the more travelling I can do, the more I can get out and about and see the community. So if you can do that, consider it, right? Patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. You might be already supporting Blind Boys podcast or you might be supporting the second captains or whatever. So if you can add me to do that to that and become a supporter, that would be absolutely brilliant. And many of you already have and I'm very grateful for that. You can also sponsor, you can get in touch with me over social media or at Irish and Sweden Podcast at gmail.com. So they're pretty much the, the three main ways. All right, now that we have all those niceties out of the way, let's get down to business. Now, the conversations that we had over St. Patrick's Day and that week were fascinating because everybody basically comes out of the woodwork and you're seeing people that you don't see very often. You're working with them very closely, sometimes for a few days. You'll see them in the different pubs, the various different events and gigs and what have you. And um, one of the things that we've been thinking of and that I've been thinking of is how to connect with the younger people who are here in Stockholm at the moment, right? Because their experience of, of being Irish in Sweden or being part of that community is an awful lot different from mine after being here for like 23 years so during the festivities if you like I ended up talking to Hazel Riley and having some fascinating conversations with her over the few days about her work here she's over here doing a PhD which she'll tell you all about but also her connections to Irish music and the kind of thing that might make her feel more at home here so um, let's get into it shall we stick around because an awful lot more to come in this episode so uh, but stick around here's Hazel Riley to begin with I was only half joking, Hazel Riley, when I sent you a message the other day said, explain science to me. But we rephrase that question, right? And say, uh, explain what you're doing in science here in Sweden to me. Okay, so I'm doing a PhD. Mm. I just started there in November, just gone. And uh, so my like area that I'm doing the PhD in is cell and gene therapy. So in essence, I'm looking to create a new cancer therapy using stem cells. So, so you're literally trying to find a cure for cancer. I love it. I'm literally trying to find the cure for cancer. <laughs> and how did, did you get into that? Because I can't imagine that sort of, you know, growing up out in swords there and playing in the swings, you go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to create the cure for cancer. Or did somebody say that you'd never do it? <laughs> uh, maybe a bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. Um, so... I did, I studied biomedical science in university back in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Um, I had always kind of wanted to be in the medical field. Um, but I think being a doctor, I wouldn't be cut out for it. So I went for the labs. And then 
in your final year, you have to do a project. And I ended up doing a research one where I was introduced to stem cells. And then that's where it really all started. Um, doing that, having that experience and then seeing what doors that could open, like how many areas stem cells can be involved in. Like it's not just cancer therapies, it can be anything. And then like we had cancer in the family. So when I found out that stem cells could be used for a cancer treatment, I was like, well, there you go. That fits me perfectly. That's what I want to do. What are stem stem cells, Hazel? They are, they're like, basically when you, when you're conceived, you become this little ball of cells that grow. And so those cells initially can become any cell in your body. So like a liver cell, a skin cell, a heart cell, and that's how you then become like a little tiny human. Hmm. Um, so we, they're basically cells that can become anything. So you've got a, from stem cells, they turn into another type of cell and another type of cell until they become whatever they're meant to be finally. Hmm. So we want like stem cells that we can decide what they're going to turn into, what type of cell they want to be. And how does that play in then? Because I mean, cancer is something that touches everybody's life at some point. We all have somebody in our family or maybe we've had it ourselves. What what does that mean then? You know, what can you do with stem cells that's going to help you battle something like that? So what I want to do is take stem cells and turn them into a type of white blood cell. And then I'm going to genetically modify them so that they're like primed to seek out cancer cells and attack cancer cells. So since the pandemic, we've all heard of the word antigen. Mm -hmm. Um, So cancer, like tumors or leukemia cells have these antigens that make them specific. And that's what I want the white blood cells to target. So I want to make them target these cells so that they attack and kill. You make it all sound very simple, girl. So will it be by this time next week, I can go to the apotheket here in Sweden and pick up this? Or how long is this going to take you, do you reckon? Um, it's going to take a while. It's a big project. When I So every, every PhD student in Karolinska has to present their study plan. Hmm. And so when I presented mine, one of the first comments I got was, this is a huge project. Are you going to have time to finish it in four years? And so it will, it'll take the whole of my four years and probably a lot longer, um, which I think is, I mean, it's great for me because I'll have a job after the end of my PhD. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It is something that will take years, but hopefully, you know, it won't take forever and it will actually work and it'll happen. Well, I mean, at least they didn't laugh at you because I mean, I'd imagine there's a few harebrained schemes that they get to hear there, but this actually does sound like it's something that's sort of very well thought out. Um, if we could just sort of wind back the clock a little bit, right? And by the way, I'm delighted that that's, now I finally know that you're definitely going to be here for four years because you've been a fantastic addition to, to my life and to that of the community in the short time that we've known you and that we've had you here. So uh, we hope that you're here for much longer than those four years and no doubt you'll be back to collect your Nobel Prize at some point. But um, if you go back to when you were in school, Hazel, um. This is one of the reasons I want to talk to you is because we had this uh, event when I was away about women in STEM, in science, technology, engineering, mathematics, in all these subjects that aren't normally women's fields, right? When you went to school in Ireland, did you feel that this is a sort of a boys game or did you feel that's something I want to do and there was no barriers to you whatsoever? 
Um, I think it's actually kind of funny for me because I know the statistics that, you know, women represent only 35% of the people in STEM globally. But for me, like when I went, I went to a mixed school in Port Marnock um, and there, when I was, you know, in my younger years in school, taking general science for the junior cert, there were four science teachers and three of them were women. And then when I went to the leave insert and I chose chemistry and biology as my subjects, both of my teachers were women. So from the like really primitive ages of 12 to 18, I saw women in these science roles. And then when I went to university, the course that I chose, there was 40 of us, 34 were women. Wow. So then when you, when you leave that course and you go into work in the hospital labs, it's then going to be mostly women because the university was mostly women. Yeah. And there I worked in the matter hospital and there's six, there's six labs in the hospital and the head of four out of six of the labs were women. So I've never had that experience where there weren't women in these roles. So I never felt like there was going to be a barrier and that it was something that was only like a boys club. Yeah. And how has it been over here in Sweden now? Because obviously, I mean, that's a fantastic background because, you know, I don't know if the thought ever crossed your mind that, no, no, this isn't for boys. And that's brilliant. But when you come over here to Sweden, how do attitudes differ? Is it the same sort of representation of Karolinska and the people that you've spoken to in your field? I think there's, it's hard to say if it's different because back in Ireland, I was in diagnostics and here I'm in research. Hmm. So it's not directly comparable. There are a lot of women like now in my lab, there's four PhD students. All of us are girls. Mm. Um, but I think a lot of the bosses, like the PIs of labs, um, they're, mo- they're still mostly men as yeah. far as I can see. Um, so that's where it would differ. But it's also, you know, it, it's research versus diagnostics. So it's hard to say. It's it's hard to actually compare them, in my mm. opinion, anyway. Yeah. Do you get annoyed when people like me call you up and go, right, right, let's talk about women in science? You go, oh, Jesus, not again. You know, do you feel like it's sort of tokenistic when people do that? Or do you feel that people genuinely care about it? I think sometimes it can be tokenistic. Um, but I even having said that, I think it's still important because the statistics are still still showing that there's not enough women. Mm. And I think you need young girls to see what I saw growing up, that there are women in these roles and it is something that's accessible to women. So even though it can be a bit maybe cliche, um, it's still important. So I'm always happy to do it. Do you, like when you were going to school now and you mentioned doing science for your junior cert and for your leaving cert and you had women in the classroom, were kind of always sort of inundated with, with science that was done by men, right? You know, I remember the guy who performed the first uh, open heart surgery or heart transplant, a South African doctor whose name escapes me at the moment. But these were all sort of, you know, people we talked about. And it's only now that I'm realizing at the age of almost 51 years old that, you know, we never really talked about women and their breakthroughs. Did you have people that you looked up to, you know, scientists maybe that you would have read somebody's work either in school or in college and went, yeah, you know, she'd be kind of, you know, not, not a hero, but somebody that you would like to try to emulate? Um, researcher wise, I'm going to say no, um, because I don't think I really looked that far when I was younger. I kind of did what I had to do to pass my subjects in secondary school. And then my exams in university were like insane. So I really focused on what I needed to do for college, but 
there, like, I think just my teachers and my lecturers, they were kind of my inspiration to, you know, that there are women here. We are going to make our mark. And yeah. And do you still have, are you still in touch with the people that uh, when you went to university, the lecturers that you would have had then who sort of put you or guided you on the first part of this journey? Um, now that I've started the PhD, I've gotten in contact with a couple of them um, to kind of, you know, let them know what I'm doing now. Um, and I'm connected with a good few of them on LinkedIn. So, but I don't, I don't think I'm in contact with them in, as much as I should be because they really shaped me as a scientist. Do you get people from the school you went to in Port Marnock or from the college contacting you and going, Hazel, would you talk about this? Because we want girls to see what you've done and what you're doing. Because I have to say, you know, just you telling me what you told me at the beginning of this conversation, it's fantastically exciting. And as you well know, I know very little about these things. But do you get people asking you to talk about that to try to get you to inspire other young women, despite the fact that you're so young yourself? Um, not from home. Um I'm actually not sure if my secondary school know what I'm doing now. I think if they did, they would probably ask me to come. Hmm. Um, but I know from the embassy event for women in STEM, the Irish embassy one, um, there was a woman from the Swedish Irish Society who's a teacher and she suggested she wanted to be in contact with me to come. She teaches in an international school here hmm. and she would like me to go and speak to her kids because she wants them to see women in these roles. How, how do you feel about doing that, about standing up in front of 30 kids and going, yeah, I'm Hazel and I'm going to cure cancer? Oh, it's nerve-wracking. Kids are ruthless. They're bastards, I think. <laughs> kids are ruthless. I'd be terrified. <laughs> tell you, who are you coming in here telling us you're going to cure cancer, you bum? <laughs> But has she given you a date for that yet, Hazel? Because I'd say it's going to become fairly popular now when people start to, to find out what you're doing, you know? I haven't. I haven't contacted her, actually. Um, Are you afraid? I'm, I'm kind of trying to put it off a little <laughs> bit, yeah. Brilliant. Listen, that's the science of it, right? But the other thing about it, it's like, you know, talking to you is like peeling an onion, right? Because every time I sit down with you, something else comes out. And we were out there recently for uh, St. Patrick's Week, and we started to talk about music. And, you know, now this is my sort of prejudices coming in, but I see young women like yourself, and I didn't think that you could possibly be interested in things like traditional music. But it turns out that you're more, more interested in it than, than most people. Could you tell me a little bit about uh, what it is about Irish traditional music you love and about how you started playing yourself? Um, I started playing because of my mom. She forced us into it when we were younger and we she'd drag us to our music lessons, kicking and screaming. Mm. Um, I really tried to fight her on it, but she wasn't having any of it. And I actually, I should thank her for it because it's only since I came to Sweden, I kind of realized how close that made me feel to Ireland. Mm. Um, and I haven't, I actually haven't played in a couple of years now because college got crazy. So I gave up a few hobbies, which was a mistake, but here we are, you live and learn. Um, but that I got into it because of my mom. And then I was part of uh, Kaylee band and that was like all girls. We became really close friends. Um, so it's just, I think that's in essence how I got into it. Um, and I love it. And now I'm, it's quite sad now that I don't play it as much as I should, but hopefully I'll get back into it soon. 
And for the people that are listening to this, right, we were talking about it and we were saying that like, okay, there are people who play music in, in, in Stockholm and in Sweden and that kind of thing. But you were saying that you'd love to find people your own age to play music with. Was that the story in the Kaylee band that you were in in Ireland, that you were playing with people who were your peers, so to speak? Yeah, because so in Ireland, the Kaylee bands were kind of separated by if you went to a competition, it's separated by age group. Mm. So then it was people my own age that I was playing with. But like I got an awful lot of stick when I was younger for playing trad. It's, Did you? you know, it wasn't a cool thing to do. You're the coolest person I know. I don't know how people <laughs> get like that idea, but continue. <laughs> um, but so I think since then it's not often a topic that I would bring up. So then I find it hard now in my twenties to find people that play. So, so it's kind of like all the trad players anonymous. Yeah. Hi, my, my name is Hazel and I love a bit of a jig kind of thing. But you haven't found that meeting yet. I haven't found that meeting yet. Maybe you could find it for me, Phil. Well, that's like the call we're putting out in this podcast now, because it is very odd. You'll find people in all walks of life and all of a sudden when a session starts, they'll produce a whistle or they'll produce a, a fiddle or something like that and it starts flying. But you play the concertina, am I right? Yes, I do. Is that the only instrument you play or are you one of these people like Brian Friel who can play 26 different things? I wish I could play 26 different things. I started with the tin whistle, as yep. everyone does, um, and then I moved on to the Bowron. And then I moved on to the concertina and the concertina is the one I've stuck with. So if you gave me a bear on now, I wouldn't be able to play. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. God, somebody hitting the yoke. <laughs> yeah, but you have to get the exact right beat. And, you know, Look I, at, I no bear on player I have ever seen has gotten the exact right beat for anything. So. Yeah, but they've got these fancy little flicks and everything to make it sound cool. That's the one percent of people that you'll see like proper bell or bell place. The rest of them should be handed a fucking Stanley knife for the most part. You know? <laughs> but listen, on that very subject, right? So I would have, I, I would have been sort of um, obviously a whole lot older than you. And when Sharon Shannon sort of broke through and was doing records with the Saw Doctors and that kind of thing, was she somebody that you would have looked up to or that kind of music? Or where were your musical influences in in the traditional sphere coming from? Again, it was the people I was surrounded with, but like, yeah. because, um, because I got a bit of a sh- bit of stick for it, I wouldn't be going listening to Irish music on my own. Mm. Um, do you know, there's always the fear that you don't have your earphones plugged in and then everyone yeah. will hear what you're listening to. <laughs> it's so, that bad, is it? <laughs> I mean, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but. I don't know. I mean, like, you know, if you're a teenager or whatever, and people are giving you a stick for those things, it's obviously going to sort of leave its mark on you. But it's 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 a bit heartbreaking that you were sort of so ashamed that you that you liked it, you know. But I know so, it is terrible. Like I I actually feel bad for 15-year-old me being embarrassed by it. Well, do, do you know who I feel bad for is 15 old, is 15 the people who are hanging around 15-year-old you making you feel bad for something that you just loved, <laughs> you know. Um, what are your some of your favorite tunes, Hazel? If I was to hand you a, a concertina now, which I don't have one at home, unfortunately, uh, what would you play for me? Oh, now the names, I'm terrible for the names of tunes. I'd probably stick with, I'd probably stick with the jigs. Yeah. They're a lot, I think they're easier to play. Reels get very fast, very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> 
I've seen the, I think it was Martin Hayes, the great fiddle player there from the West of Ireland, they were saying that, you know, when he played in bars and pubs in that North America in the early part of his career, that, you know, you'd be racing each other to the end of the reels, you know, <laughs> nuts all together. But of course, if you were at the St. Patrick's Day Parade here in Stockholm, which you were, uh, we saw Brian Friel playing the Kesh jig and Luca Blooms, you couldn't have come at a better time, which I have to say is one of my favourites. But it's really hard to play the guitar along to things like that. Because um, yeah. trying to keep that sort of a rhythm, but you don't sort of, you know, you don't go, okay, oh, that particular tune, I got to learn that. I know the name of that. You just sort of play along and pick it up by ear, do you? I try anyway. Now, it'd probably take me a few, I'd have to listen to it a few times to pick it up. Mm. Um, but that's kind of how I try and learn my songs. And when you were playing with the other girls in the Kaylee band, you were saying it was all girls, was it? I think we had two lads in the group, but yeah, it was mostly girls. And how would that, like the kind of gigs you'd play, would they be sessions in, I remember the Trinity Music Students used to do one in the Oliver Sinjin Gogarty pub in Temple Bar on a Tuesday night. And that was just amazing because you had the best young people who were studying music in Trinity playing and they were just awesome. What kind of places were you playing your music in at sessions? We had, there was a pub in uh, Malahide and the name of it now has disappeared but they had like a function room because obviously we were young um I I think I stopped playing in my early 20s so I you know none of us were allowed drink or anything so we'd book out a function room families would get together and we'd play um and that it was always kind of in Malahide because that's where my music group was based Mm. um so that's oh we'd play in the Grand Hotel actually the odd the odd time We'd have sessions in there. That was always good crack. And you'd just crack away for two or three hours there. And would people, would there be set dancing and that kind of thing going on as well? Yeah. Um, we, I, a couple of the parents would get up and set dance, but it was never like a proper, mm. a proper, proper Katie kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And what do you envisage now, right? We'll put out this podcast now on Monday morning at seven o'clock. Uh, what would you like by midsummer? Would you like to have your, your Katie band going in, in Veerstrom's pub or somewhere? I would love that. The bit downstairs in Veerstrom's, I would love to have a little session. Do you know, a few pints, just a couple of people together, having a bit of crack, playing a few tunes. Uh, right. That's my dream. Now, what do you need for that, right? Because we already have you with the concertina, right? I'm I'm backing out of this completely. If you want me to sit plink at a guitar in some, you know, in by the toilets or something like that, I'll happily do that for you. But I want to leave the young people themselves. How many more musicians do you need before and what kind of musicians do you need before you say, right, we can do this? Do you know, I don't think you even need that many. If you've got like, because to me, it doesn't matter what instruments there, it's just a few people getting together to play. If it was a concertina and a tin whistle even though I'd drown out the tin whistle, um, happy days. <laughs> uh, a fiddle is always a lovely, lovely addition. And a baron. Like, that's it. that's it. And a guitar. A guitar is always lovely. Phil, you're always welcome. Anyway, I might, as I say, just fill up the sound in the, in the background out a few chords here and there. And that's that, you know. So what we're looking for is, do you know what we'll actually do here, right? We put the call out. We want at least three other musicians, right? You and me, we're committed, right? We're all in on this one. We're blood brothers and sisters here now. We want two, three other musicians and we'll do a session and we'll record it and we'll put it out as a podcast, right? But it has to happen between now and midsummer. I'm putting throwing down the gauntlet here. No rehearsals, none of this kind of crack whatsoever. But we'll get a couple of musicians together. Um, Hazel, are you going to spend the four years of your PhD here in Stockholm? Yes, 
I mean, if I got the opportunity to have like a couple of weeks abroad, I'd love that. But I, I think the majority of it will be here in Stockholm. But you know what? That is, you know, we had a great week for St. Patrick's Week. We're just coming off the hangover of that now. But that's the best news. I'm going to get all the way through until Christmas of that news because it's been brilliant having you here so far. And I think it's only going to get better. And Chase, by the end of it all, you'll have cured cancer. So what's not to like? Hazel, thanks so much for speaking to me. Thanks for having me, Phil. This was fun. Oh, the, oh and it won't be the last time either. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> little snippet of the Kesh jig which was taken from uh, the Celtic Woman performance which I think was live in Ireland there about three or four no, almost four years ago now July 2018 one of my absolute favourite Irish tunes and one of my favourite ways to hear it is when Brian Burns of County Wicklow and Orkish Barrier in Sweden when he gets together with whatever friends he has because he has some of the greatest musical friends in the country and he starts playing that and you couldn't have come at a better time by Luca Bloom and it's just brilliant it's just manna from heaven for the souls tremendous so yeah if you're interested in doing that if you know young people in particular because I know that Hazel she's lovely you know to, like a granddad at this stage you know but uh, she's lovely to me and that kind of thing but if there are young people out there playing tin whistles or fiddles or any of that kind of thing that you know of Swedish, Irish doesn't matter but if they want to play a few jigs a few reels tell them to get in touch with me or with Hazel We'll go, we'll meet up somewhere, we'll find a venue. I'm sure Martin Hessian at Veerstone's Pub will give us uh, the loan of one of his little rooms there. And we'll just get cracking and we'll say nothing to nobody and we'll just work away until uh, we're happy enough to put it on and call it a session. So do get in touch. Now, one man who did get in touch, I'm not going to name any names or that kind of thing, but this intriguing thing popped up. Somebody contacted me uh, during the week. And basically, this is a message to anybody who owns a business out there that's bringing stuff over to Sweden and possibly sending a truck or a van back empty every week, right? There is a man who used to live in Sweden, an Irish man, and he has moved back to Ireland, but and he moved back several years ago, but for various different reasons, some of his possessions have remained in the country, right? Again, I haven't spoken to him about it. I haven't told him that I was going to mention it in the podcast or anything, so no, no, no names mentioned, nothing like that. But if you do happen to have a van or a truck, or if you know of one that's going back, I think he said he has about 15 sort of um, flit kartonger, which are like banana boxes or, or boxes of stuff that have to go back. They're not that big, so if you can, if you have a truck or a van or anything that's going back to Ireland, if you have, say, you know, a whole bunch of stuff coming to Yavlin uh, from your depot in Wicklow or Dublin or wherever and you're sending back an empty truck or a van give me a shout right and I'll meet you I'll collect his stuff and I'll throw it in the back of the van and it's it's literally it's DVDs and it's you know personal stuff right so I wouldn't imagine that there's going to be any great uh, problem with customs or those kinds of things but if you could do that I'd be extremely grateful and then once it gets to the island of Ireland he'll uh, he'll make some uh, efforts or he'll make the arrangements then to come and collect his stuff but he would very much like to get his things back it's not likely he's going to be moving back to Sweden but uh, so if 
you can do that, if you can help me out, get in touch via social media, uh, IrishAndSwedenPod at gmail.com or find me on Twitter or, uh, yeah, just, you know, generally stalk me or haunt me until you get me. And uh, we'll get this man reunited with his possessions because he lived here for a long time and now he'd just like to get them back over there, right? Now I'm going to go travel the shortest distance yet for a podcast, other than the ones that have been uh, recorded here in my little studio at SanctiExplanance.com. I'm going to take a ramble up the stairs now. I'm uh, just down from PwC, the Bonniers building here in the centre of Stockholm, right? So it's just down the hill a little bit from there where Niles Gullion works. And just around the corner, up a few steps from Atlas Gothan, is Sponge Cookies, right? So Mark from Dublin is up there. He's making cookies to beat the band. High-end cookies, right? There's none of your rich tea shit happening here, lads. Uh, really, really good stuff. I've tasted them before, right? I went over there and I bought a box of cookies uh, one day when he was actually sick there during the winter. But I just figured I can't wait any longer. And they were magnificent, right? So these are handmade, freshly baked every day in the centre of Stockholm. He's open a few days a week. So I'm going to nip up there now and just see uh, what he's up to and how he came to be selling cookies here in the middle of uh, Stockholm. in Sweden. How the hell did this happen? Oh, I don't know, really. <laughs> I've lost a bet. <laughs> You're on the run from a library file like <laughs> yeah, yourself, Kennedy, you know? Exactly, yeah. No, it's... Uh, I think it's, it was a long life of working for many people and decided yeah. to go out by myself, you know? So, And then someone had mentioned that there was no cookie store, so... Lo and behold, uh, here yeah. I am. But you, like, because your background is in very, very high-end pastry chef kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, right? it is, it is. But it's uh, when you get older, it gets a little bit harder. Yeah. You know, so I wanted something I could control myself. And then I could use my experience of putting something into the simplicity of a cookie. Yeah. So it's... Uh, so here we are, yeah. It's... Uh, it's... Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you sound a little overwhelmed, there's a good reason for that because we're at St. Terry's Plan at the moment, but this is one of the last days that you're going to be here, right? Yeah, we're going to be here till Sunday, and then uh, it's a week's break, and then we're on uh, Hornstone Market yeah. every Saturday and Sunday from now till October. Yeah. And then uh, we are starting up in two weeks at the Little Britain Tea Garden. Yeah. So we're going to totally take over the cafe there. So you're going to be responsible for running the whole show there? Running the whole, uh, running the whole show. We're going to have warm food, cold food, loads of cakes, cookies, uh, of course. Uh, and then we are going to push the sponge cookies out there as well. So, yeah. And that's in Nakastrand, isn't it? That's in Nakastrand, yeah. It's up on the top of the hill. It's quite an interesting little old building that is, you'd blink if you miss it, but then if you walk out through the garden, you're up on a big rock over look in the archipelago mm. so it's quite a, it's a lovely place to go during the summer and how has it been here at St. Explorer because this is an area of the city where let's face it people have money yeah. uh, you're dealing with cookies where you know it's not like buying a packet of rich tea biscuits you know it's kind of no no it, that's true but we do with something totally different you yeah. know it's uh, it's all high-end ingredients 
It's uh, you. You have your normal chocolate chip. Each one weighs about 80 grams, but it's cooked here. Yeah, it's not cooked the day before or two days before. We, it's uh, it's pre-boiled. They're all 80 grams weight, and then they get cooked six at a time. Mm -hmm. And when we run out, we cook another six between 10 or four. So it's always fresh. Always fresh. And then the stuff that we don't use that day gets put in the freezer and sold as bags of frozen cookies, mm. to which you just defrost yourself in the oven. Yeah. And then it's back to brand new. How, what makes a great cookie for you? Uh, quality of ingredients, uh, how it's made. Um, if it's a chocolate chip cookie, there needs to be enough chocolate chip in it to warrant it to be a chocolate chip. Yeah. We, we put about, on average, about 1.2 kilos of 70% dark chocolate in one batch of cookies, which produces about 45 cookies. That's a hell of a lot of chocolate. That's a lot of chocolate, and that's why we warrant the price, you know. And then I changed all my chocolate to Malmo Chocolate Fabrique. Okay. So the only things that's not Swedish ingredients are the nuts. Okay, so obviously they have to be imported, yeah? Yeah. yeah. Uh, flour, sugar, eggs, chocolate, it's all Swedish. And, like, you open here, at the moment you're open at 12 o'clock today, but how, like, you know, uh, how much earlier do you have to be here to get the first batches going and that kind of thing? Come in at 10. I don't want to come in earlier than that, or else the cookies are sitting around even longer. Yeah. You know, if you, if you come in at 12 o'clock, you'll have a cookie that was baked between an hour and a half to five minutes ago. Well, yeah. So it's literally straight out of the oven almost. Straight out of the oven. If you time it right, they'll be coming out of the oven. There'll be two, two fresh feet to take, but... I've had people come in and uh, they, we don't have the flavour, we run out. So I tell them to do a lap of the park and when they come back, they're ready for them. It's done. It's done. So it only takes a few minutes, basically. It takes about 11 and a half minutes. That's incredible. And how much of this is done by yourself? Pretty much everything. <laughs> Said he with a sigh, come to you. Pretty much everything. And I, I, I get some help every second week from uh, Ada. Yeah. When, when it's... Uh, and have my son, and I can't really be here all the time. Yeah. But yeah, the delivery, the making, the washing up, the Hold creation, on. the ordering. <laughs> but that must be a huge change, Mac, because when you came over here, you were working in the Grand Hotel, which is like, it's basically an army in the kitchen. Yeah, right? yeah, but uh, <laughs> swings and roundabouts, really. I came over and uh, after working, uh, last place was uh, Jason Nathan and Wool Michelin in, in London. <laughs> I worked in my arsehole for, for, for ages before I came here. And then I said, I'll take some time off when I got here. Within three weeks, I was in the Haymarket. Yeah, that's a new there. hotel down by yeah, the yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. Running their pacey section. And then I was there for nearly two and a half years, and they weren't progressing. I was, I was comfortable there. Yeah. But com sometimes comfortable is not so good. You know, you start to get a bit bored. Yeah. So then I got headhunted by, I got recommended to the Grand Hotel. Yeah. So uh, I went over there and, yeah, that's between um, eight full-time staff in, in the pastry uh, kitchen. And then at Christmas, you know, what you were bored and everything, we had 14 staff. So eight full-time staff just for pastry? Just for pastry. That, that's, that's everything from... Uh, First born in, you have your weddings, you have your events, you've got your uh, smorgasbord, you've mm. got everything, you've got kadir bar and you've got afternoon tea, so it's full on, seven days a week. Yeah. 
What does it? Because I mean, we look at these sort of great chefs. The chefs are becoming sort of like movie stars now. Yeah, yeah. What's running a gig like that like? Because okay, now you're a sole trader. Everything's on you. But yeah. At least, what, you know. What's running a good thing that that contacts and the, and the face not made for radio. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it outside. Kind of yeah, exactly. You know what I mean. You got to have the right people to get into uh, into into TV. That's where the money is. There's no yeah. money as a chef. Yeah. There's not. You know. Can I open the, the yeah, of course. Jeez, if you don't open the flower, there'll be no cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. That's the great thing about doing these things yeah. in a sort of live environment, yeah. you know. Um, um, there's, there's, it's very little money, mm. you know, and uh, unfortunately... Well, there's two, two sides to the story. There's, I call it the X Factor... Uh, uh, what would you say? Effect. Yeah. That people see that they can just get on the TV and they're a chef. There's people working 25 years and they're still struggling. Yeah. You know, they don't get the chance. Nobody and knows who they are. Like. No one knows who they are. Yeah. You know, so, okay, social media is great, but it's, you, you can be a home baker mm. and have 20,000 people following you because you're, you're giving them something they can do at home. Yeah. I'm, uh, the difference with people who run in a business is that they're trying to attract people in. Yeah. Not trying to give them everything they can do themselves. Yeah. You know, so it's like if I was to say, oh, yeah, here's all the recipes for my cookies, I'd be out of business in the morning because people make them at home. <laughs> True enough. You know, I have to try to entice them in, you yeah. know, by, oh, this is what we do, this is what we're going to do, See, uh, you know, it's right, season, this is the whole thing behind it, this is the story, you know, mm. I'd use my experience, you know, and then, okay, we'll go a little bit crazy, like with the red velvet, and, mm. oh, is there cream cheese frosting inside? Yeah, there is. Really? You know, people well, are shocked. Yeah. Uh, you know, we make all our own caramels, we make all our own uh, prolines, we do all the caramel popcorn ourselves, everything we do. It's done here. It's done here, we don't buy anything. That's incredible. So, you know, the cho chocolate caramel, the, the butter caramel, the, the peanut proline, the hazelnut noisette, we make everything. Now, I'm looking up the prices there, right? One yeah. cookie, 40 crowns, right? Yeah. I'm sure, especially Irish people, maybe Swedes are a little bit more sort of generous, but Irish people are going to go, that's a lot of money. But that's why, because you do everything yourself. It's not only that, it's the price of stuff over here. Yeah. You know, uh, people, you have a look at the forums and stuff, you know, like maybe Brits in Sweden and people, oh, everything's so expensive until you have to explain to people that running a business over here, of course, you're in LA. Yeah. Selection of sizes of cookies. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. No, that's for the scones. Someone ordered fresh scones today. Oh, you just go, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do that, yeah. My daughter actually loves scones when she goes Does to Beauty's in Dublin. <laughs> and fuck me, if you want to talk about places that are expensive, <laughs> God almighty, Beauty yeah. scones are mad. Well, the, the thing is that it's... With people down, uh, the taxes are super high here. The price on food is super high. Mm. You know, um, like with a macadamias is one of the most popular... Uh, um, Nuts uh, cookie. Oh, right, yeah. A kilo of macadamia fluctuates between 450 and 500 crowns a kilo. Oh, please smokes. Yeah. And as you said previously, you know the cheapest chocolate. place to buy this? Where is that? In Lidl. In Lidl, is it? Yeah, so I have to go to Lidl and get a kilo of 380. So, you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah. And that's, that's from the wholesaler. Yeah, that's incredible. And then uh, I, 
it was quite funny you say about the prices and <laughs> I rang them up one of them bag reproductor and I said oh you got macadamia he said yeah yeah but it's uh, 360 kilo brilliant but you have to buy 20 kilos <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean and that's a lot of stock to have sitting around there's a whole lot of cookies you, you need to sell I mean? yeah. because uh, when you have stock at the end of the month sitting around it's not earning you money yeah yeah so it's dead money yeah. so I can't justify it to have you know seven eight thousand uh, of nuts sitting there yeah <laughs> You know? <laughs> the to go mad. Um, no, but it's 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 the um, you know the price of the chocolate and and everything everything is, goes up every year. Yeah, you know it's uh, and I, I keep I keep my prices the same. Yeah, right. So if you buy a chocolate chip at forty, or if you buy one that's laced with macadamia, they're still forty. Yeah. You know, I don't want to start changing the price. So that's why people, they get a box of five and they mix it up. Yeah. So otherwise it just gets confusing for people as it well. It's like, confusing you know? and I don't, I don't think I need to, uh, you know, crucify someone at yeah. one end of the scale or make it smaller or change the price. It's all the same price. A few you know. years ago, I remember being down in Denmark and a girl I used to work with opened a place selling cupcakes, right? Yeah. And I remember thinking, now, this is because I'm 50 years old and I'm bad. I remember thinking, that'll never work. And the young ones made a bleeding fortune out of it, you know? Yeah. Do you see a similar trend here with cookies now? Because you've been first. Yeah, I mean, there will be. There's always, you know, uh, there be... I know there's another cookie store going to open up soon, but, you know, it's, it's more exposure. Yeah. You know, like you look at the baggeries everywhere. Yeah. There's, there's four on this road. Yeah. From uh, bread and salt. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's, they pop up everywhere. There's a market for them. So the more exposure, and people are still quite cautious to come in. Are they? Yeah? Oh, yeah. You know, they're like, oh, she don't look that dangerous. Like, yeah. No, well, some place, maybe in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they're still a bit cautious. You know, they. they uh, they're, they're still a bit, um, you know, oh, what is it? Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it yeah. da, da, da? And with the price, I think in the last six months there's been four people that have said in the whole six months, oh, it's a bit pricey and left. That's it, right? There are only it. four people. Only four people. But I always got that. I mean, you and me grew up in Dublin, right? If yeah. I'm not mistaken. And we always thought, you know, like things that were cheap, you just you automatically went because we didn't have that kind of money. But I think here people are more prepared to pay for things if it's quality, right? Or yeah, but I think. We didn't reason, of course. We didn't reason, you know what I mean? It's. Uh, yeah, I think they accept it. Yeah. You know, and the thing is that if you're ripping someone off, for an average or below average product. They're yeah. not going to come back. They're no. not stupid. No, Maybe there are some stupid people out there for punishment. We love them. But, yeah. <laughs> but if you do a good product, then I have people that come back all the time. Yeah. All the time. You have regulars who come in like ah, once yeah, a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of times a week. You Brilliant. know, and uh, buying big amounts and, oh, and ordering and have you got this, have you got that? And we'll always go outside the box for people. Yeah. You will. Like, oh, yeah. Like these scones that were ordered this morning. Kind of scones, thing. you know, and of course you know yeah. it's something that we we can do you know because uh she's also ordering about eight cookies and, uh, and we make crumpets as well okay yeah they got mad for the crumpets I'd say uh, i'm sure there's a lot of british people that love that they do but they're a pain in the ass to make how did you get into that because i remember i had a job at jewelry's when i was 16 i thought yeah. the hotel business was great i'm eating all these fascinating people that, yeah, yeah did you yeah. grow up with a love of food a love of cooking no. yeah, absolutely not to see <laughs> 
People say, did you get anything from your mother? Not how to cook. <laughs> no, she was a terrible cook, honestly, you know what I mean? I'd say this later. potato every day of your life for 21 years. <laughs> no, I, I got into it after school, yeah, yeah, I did. And then I was in a hotel for a while, and then I got away from it, and then I went and did my own thing and eventually came back to it. Yeah. You know, so it was... It was always there. But I, I, I enjoyed the thing about... A bit, a bit like when people go to the army. Yeah. You know, they enjoy the camaraderie. I enjoyed the hierarchy in the kitchen. Yeah. I enjoyed the buzz, you yeah. know, and uh, there was a lot of, I would just say, you know, it's a tough place to be. It certainly is, yeah. It's, and it's, it, grow, it grows your personality, it grows your respect. You know, and it is a fearful place, and it's all changed now. Yeah. For the worse. You think so, yeah? I think it was a bit much when people were getting violent in the kitchen, but being shouted at, and yeah. it's, it's, there's, you need hierarchy in the army. Yeah. Like, in, you know, some, as my old head chef used to say, someone needs to steer the ship and someone needs to shovel the coal. Keep shoveling. <laughs> you know, end of story. That's you putting your place. Absolutely. <laughs> I look over the icebergs, as he used to say. You get over the shovel. Yeah, keep shoveling. Yes, chef, you know. But it needs order. And if you look at a proper head chef who's on the past, right, yeah. he's controlling everybody. And there's four or five meals coming in at the same time with four or five different elements that yeah. all, all have to marry up at the end. Yeah. The fish can't be sitting too long. The potatoes, you know, the veg, all has to come together. He controls all that. Yeah. And you can see why he gets annoyed with some shy hawk messing something up because he's, you know, daydreaming about something. Yeah. You know the work, you come in, do your work the whole End of story. Remember realizing yeah. that, like, the level of planning and organization that goes into everything hitting the table at yeah. the right time. Exactly. It's phenomenal. You no, know, because I always put it this way, right? That it was the people that gave most gratitude were the people that uh, who came out for their meals, mm. like on a special occasion. You know, people would come down to the kitchen and say, "Oh, thanks very much. That was that was lovely." But it was generally the people who hadn't been out for a long time and maybe had a baby. It was the first time out, or they were mm. celebrating, you know, or they were remembering someone or an anniversary. And those people I cooked for. Yeah. They're the people you They're want to the impress. They're the people I go for, yeah. yeah. You know, and, you know, because we had a chef's table every day, and yeah. we had the business groups in, and they were the worst. Absolutely <laughs> boring, because someone's paying for it. They've got no... No appreciation for it. There's, they're not investing in it themselves, like, you know? You know, so then we would wind them up. Because <laughs> like, I, I had to explain my dishes yeah. and the cheese course, right? Yeah. And uh, I would, go, you know, we'd be serving five cheeses, and we'd be making stuff up, and our chef would be just, like, in the back. <laughs> Like, you know, absolutely, you know what I mean? Like, there was a cheese that was uh, made from the Holston Frisian cows in Belgium. Yeah. But uh, we had said that uh, because it was, they were raised on this hill, that some of their legs were shorter and on one side so they could stay still when they were walking around and all this sort of stuff. And, like, it was like, but you know what I mean? And they're just going, oh, lovely. Yeah. Oh, they're lapping it up. Yeah, I, I can taste the extra degrees. Of like, it. 10 people. It was like three grand. Yeah. Uh, sterling. It for is. the table. It's a different level, isn't it? When That's without the like wine. Yeah. And they have like six to eight courses. But no, it was. It was yeah. But that's. So I can. 
back to the point that it's it's very easy to break into the market now mm. with good marketing, some money, yeah, and someone knows how to work social media. Yeah, you could flog anything. It's, it's not easy now to get in there. Pretty or much, if you have the money. Yeah, if you uh, if you know, and especially in Stockholm, it's all about branding. Yeah. You know, being in a good area, having the right boxes, having the right everything. Yeah. You, you can sell them anything. Do you feel that you've done that with this place? Because I've done it backwards. It's <laughs> <laughs> only now you're talking to me, yeah, like yeah, yeah. six months, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, I've done it all backwards. Yeah. You know? But that's. Uh, I just did this, decided, right, I'm just going to. I'm going to find a pop up and just go for it. And do it like I sure didn't have half the stuff with the, the... The first day with the oven, the oven broke down. No. Yeah, it was a fault in the wire from the door. So then I had to close an opening day, right? <laughs> and then race home, cook everything in the home oven, and bring it back. <laughs> Honestly, I thought Frank Spencer was going to wait outside. <laughs> it, it was something that Ronnie Doyle would have written about, you know what I mean? So it was... Would you uh, survive it, like, you know? We survived it. It was... It was, it was comical. I was having a nervous breakdown, you know? Ada was here with her husband and sister, and they, they were going to lock up. They said to go home and get some rest. And they're going to have a lie in the sofa. <laughs> was like, but that's the thing. When it all comes down to you, it's not like you can say, okay, there's somebody else in the Grand Hotel, or hey, Mark, it'll pick up. The, it all comes down you to know you. What you know? I mean, it's it's a different level there. Yeah. It's a different. Level. What was it in working in these places? You mentioned places with Michelin stars that yeah. you worked in. You're talking about high-end food. What led you specifically down the pastry route, or, the, or that kind creativity? Of thing? Is it? Yeah, creativity, uh, precision. Uh, I'm sure I have some sort of diagnosis along the way. So, no doubt about it. You know, it's like, oh, this has to be done right. And I, I, I like that. I like learning from people, mm -hmm. you know, uh, people who have knowledge. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, God, you know what? Wow, the whole thing comes together. Oh, that's amazing. Why is this? And yeah, and I thought it was, it was, uh, it was something different, and I enjoyed it. You know, I did homemaking school. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're well, a bloke. Yeah, yeah. Surely that wasn't <laughs> was allowed. 20, well, it was a mix. It was co-ed school. Ah, look at I don't know. Yeah. You know what earned it all. Did you? <laughs> Talking to girls and everything. Jesus. Well, the only reason it was me, Peter Hayes, and uh, Jason Kilroy. We're only three guys and 27 girls. That's what the only reason. Yeah, no wonder you did it, yeah? What school so, did you go to? The high school, Rathgar. So, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was, uh, and it was only, <laughs> it was only uh, about two months ago that there was a girl called Iris Jives. We were talking on, on Messenger, and she reminded me that I had substituted something with ice and sugar, flour or something, and it was a, a mess. And here I am now. So you know, you're making mistakes early. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get them out yeah, of the way. You know? I, and I, I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't great in school academically. I knew, but I was good with my hands. Yeah. You know, good at creating and working things and stuff. And I knew that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be like a pen pusher yeah. or da da da. And so yeah, it's, catering was for me. Yeah. And it's tough. It's a tough gig. But do you know it, Mark? Because I, I can't see anybody getting up in the morning doing this if they didn't fucking love it. You know. You have to, you know, it's like you, you find you find something to... And I think with the product that we have now, it's seeing people's reactions. Adults turned into kids. Is that when right? They, yeah. When they see the full the full counter, they're like, half of them swear, half of them are smiling, they don't know where to, to look. You'll see the, the face prints up on the glass already. You know, that's... <laughs> Nose no kids in. That's adults, you know. <laughs> <laughs> they're the worst. Get your hands off the glass. 
you know, and people messaging me, oh, that was like the best cookie I've ever tasted. Oh, that was really good. I brought it to my parents' week. Uh, we'll be back. And, and that's what I do. Yeah. You know, because I, I can... Uh, you know, I can I can make myself happy in many other ways, but you know, just just that gets me up. You yeah. know, and now, and now we're going to move out and into the cafe and mm. do even more stuff. Are you looking forward to that? Because I don't ah, mean, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was there last year. Yeah, I was uh, baking for Nick, who owns Little Britain. Yes, I know Nick. Yeah, 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 and Nick's great. I have a lot of time for Nick. He's one of those people that will do everything for you and not want any back. Yeah, you know, he he's he's, he's a genuine guy. Yeah. You know? And uh, they they were, he was like, oh, I don't know what to do, because they realised it was a lot of work and he was neglecting the shop and there was all yeah. sorts, especially during the, the pandemic. Mm. So I suggested that uh, we'll go out and run the whole thing for him. Mm. So that's what we're doing. And sponge cookies will be there, sort of? It will be there on the side. Yeah. And the reason why I took the market as well was that uh, for Saturday and Sunday, as I wanted to keep it in the city for my... Um, regular customers yeah and they can message me on instagram and they can pre-order the cookies they want on saturday and sunday down the market so they don't miss out brilliant and they can just come over and they get can it come and down. pick it up they'll be ready in a box in the bag for them yeah and then of course you know exactly what you're doing that morning, exactly and then i will bring down extra obviously for the market so mm. it's uh yeah win-win Win-win, and then out at the, the cafe, like Ada's going to be working out there with me, and then a couple of other people. We're going to concentrate on a little bit of British food, a little bit of all tasty, simple food, mm. lots of good cakes, fresh scones. We might even get a sausage roll on the. Jesus, I'm sold. And my daughter's <laughs> definitely sold. As long as it's not as expensive as fucking Bewley's. No, no. <laughs> well, what's, what's the future, Mac? Because you've been here for a few years. You kind of fell into it, right? You're coming over to Haymarket and then the Grand and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, Where do you want to be? Mauritius. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be a couple of years yet. And uh, just. You know, running, running something that people enjoy, mm. you know, and, and for, for myself and get a little retirement plan. That's, I'm not here to make a bundle of money. That doesn't interest me. It's getting up every day and enjoying what I do. Mm. And that's the, the most important thing. I'm going to grab that door for you. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. We're just holding the door open for a customer coming in here. Look at that, Perfect. Uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, and, uh, you know, offering a good product. Yes. And hopefully a little business where I can employ people and get them and, you know, and then hopefully, you know, a, uh, an apprenticeship enrolment and, and stuff like that and get people on the right track. So there is a sort of a slightly broader plan in a couple of years. Uh, we'll see what happens. Yeah. This could, this could call all full flatteners ours, but, you know, you never know. But you, you, have, to, you have to step out. Yeah. You know, I've done it and now all of a sudden I'll be running two places and I'm like, what am I doing? Yeah. <laughs> but you're not afraid of that, like, it no. doesn't keep you awake at night, no? No. no. Well, then what's to be afraid of? People in, in Ukraine now, a bit more, to be a bit more to be afraid of. This is very true. I, I, I bought everything myself, you know, and uh, if it all goes tits up, it's fine. Yeah. I have a lot of equipment for the house. <laughs> <laughs> have a hell of a fridge in that kitchen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, um, it's, 
Uh, you you have to take take a step out. Yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Well, you, you all goes bang and you just start again, and that's that, you know. Yeah, you know. But my philosophy is that if you have a good product, a smile on your face, a bit of banter with the customers, you're good. It's it's not a chore coming to work. But well, as long as you keep selling lovely cakes, you'll have me well, in. Well, I hope anyway. so, yeah. You're going to take some home with you. You never know. We'll have to <laughs> see if we can do a deal there. I'll just lift some in your bag. Yeah, exactly. But in the meantime, it's yeah. at Sponge Cookies on Instagram, right? At Sponge Cookies on Instagram. The and Little Britain Tea Shop at Nakasong. That's at Little Britain Tea Garden. At Little Britain yeah. Tea Garden. And then the last one is the market. Is the Hornstool Market. Hornstool yeah. Market. Starting from in a week's time. In a week's time, yeah. So we're going to be everywhere. <laughs> there you go. Taking over the world. Eh? Actually, that's one last question I want to yeah. Would you ever be interested in selling in supermarkets or any of that kind of crack? No. Just not? No, because you can't, you can't have the same quality. Yeah. You know, because something that's being packaged is already old by the time it's in the packet. Yeah. You know, we've got stuff here that comes out of the oven. Yeah. And that's the difference. That is that is the difference. We cook. I mean, we cook on site basically. Yeah. You know, so it's uh, what was it? Was it Brennan's bread? Today's bread today. Today's bread today. That's it. Today's when cookies I, today. Yeah. When I asked old Mr. Brennan, Brennan's <laughs> <laughs> recipe. Yeah, we know that one as well. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's that's the difference. Yeah. And when you, I've already been approached by investors, yeah. and they wanted to, and once they said, "Oh yeah, that, I've switched off," because then I've sold my soul. Yeah, it's not the same thing. You know, that's no, but it. then I'm running around for someone else yeah. again. The reason I did this is I run around for myself. You know, I could have an investor that could open ten shops. Yeah. Right in six months. But then if they say to me, oh, there's a staffing problem in, in Nice Shopping, I'd have to go out. And why are you closing Christmas Day? We're not making enough. Yeah, yeah. You just pop it on the string. Hey, door. Yeah. Thanks to Mickey, you know. <laughs> That's it. That's it. No, thanks. Stick this with the is, tea the market. I, I, can, I can control this. I can shut when I want. I can take holidays when I want. Mm. Someone says, oh, you won't be able to shut in the summer. <laughs> why not? If I feel like it, I'll do exactly that. I should for two weeks in August if I want to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because our, our July, whatever, you know, that's the control you have. Mm. Or I'll just say to someone, come and run it for two weeks. Yeah. I'm, I'm out of here. You know, it's like, not that I can afford to right now, but you see, you see what I mean? Once you start working for other people again, you haven't got that. Yeah. Um, you want to be dancing to the beat of your own drum in that kitchen? Yeah, okay. yeah. And it's like, it's, it's for me, me and my son, he's with me every other week. So it's, yeah. it's have more and more time together and, and do the stuff we want to. So, yeah. Long may I continue. Mark, oh, thanks very much. Thanks very much for yeah, talking to me. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, we'll see if we can get a few of these into my bag. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Oh, cookie, cookie, cookie. Me really love that cookie. So after that one cookie, me take two, then three, then four. Cookie, cookie, cookie. Me no longer just a rookie. Because once me ate one cookie, me want more and more and more. There you go, that was Mark Farrell there of Sponge Cookies, late of Sancte Explore. By the time you hear this, he will have uh, locked the door there in Sancte Explore for the last time and he's moving out to Nakastrand and then to, it was Hornstull, he said the market's going to be there every week. And I'll let you in a little secret, right? I did, I bought five cookies, 185 crowds, and I just went, okay, that one, that one, that one, that one, that one. And I haven't eaten them yet. They're downstairs, so we're going to put the coffee on now. We're going to do a good old-fashioned Swedish fika here and uh, test them with the family. I have tested them before and they're absolutely brilliant, you know, so even if it does sound like they're kind of expensive or whatever, it's just, there's, like, you know, again, his love of these things really comes across of the, the sort of, 
the, they call it handwerk in, in Swedish, like the craft of making these things by hand. And the fact that it's so instantaneous, right, okay, you want them, they'll be ready in 10 or 11 minutes. And it's something that you don't get that much of anymore. So every once in a while, we can treat ourselves to one or two of these things. And uh, if you want to keep these podcasts coming, Mark's cookies cost 40 crowns each or five or 185. This podcast, if you can throw in 50 crowns a month at patreon.com forward slash arrowman in Stockholm, I would be delighted. Uh, I've kind of decided over the last few months I want to do more and more and more of these different kinds of things. So on this same feed, you'll get the Arrowman in Stockholm podcast, which is about media and journalism. There's a good one coming up during next week, actually. And there's also the Premier Swedes football podcast. And there's another one coming up that I can't tell you about just yet. But in a few weeks' time, it will make its debut. So spread the word share the podcast around the place most importantly get on to me with your hints and tips and that kind of thing because contrary to popular belief i don't know everybody or everything much and all as i try to convince myself of it so there's always stories out there that you hear of that will be worth passing on to me and i know i haven't gotten to some of your suggestions yet so if you're listening to this going oh jeez i told him months ago about this i haven't got there yet but i am getting there but uh, the more of these things we have the better and some of them are time sensitive as well so certain things like the football match between ireland and sweden is happening in gothenburg in a few weeks we'll have a, a bit of a special one coming up for that yeah but just keep them coming to me and um hopefully now i'll be out on the road soon enough like i say i will go down to gothenburg for that game we'll see what we manage to get out of that i'm not gonna be there for very long basically the game and that's it but we'll see who we can talk to in the irish community down there at that point uh, there is a trip planned to malmo as well but again i just i need your support to be able to keep doing these things and to bring you these stories from all over sweden we'll get outside of stockholm now in the coming weeks as well but uh, in the meantime, that's it. Take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. And I shall see you out there on the highways and byways of Sweden on the Irish in Sweden podcast again very, very soon indeed. Mm-hmm.